Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. If you've got your Uversion app open, you've got your bulletin, I've got a lot to cover today because I'm literally preaching Genesis to Revelation today. And so we'll just shove it all in. And uh, you think I'm joking. And so... Uh, but this is where you need to grab your Uversion app. You need to grab your bulletin and follow along. There are more scriptures than we could shove in your bulletin. Uh, I'm covering a ton today. And we just want to look at the big picture. And we're going to lead off with this concept that we have a big God with a big plan to have a big family. And if we don't see the big picture, then we will miss the big part that we should play. Folks, this is kind of a big deal. And so we need to make sure we see the big picture. If we don't see the big picture, we'll, we'll miss things. We'll misinterpret things. We won't, we won't read the scriptures right. We won't connect right. We won't embrace our own assignment cor- correctly. And you know what? When you think about all of creation, all of humanity, um, just, every, just even just trying to think about everybody that's alive on the planet right now, when you think if we get the big picture, then that'll make us feel really irrelevant But I'm here to tell you that when you see the big picture, it doesn't make you irrelevant. It makes you more relevant because you recognize that God's plan for you makes a difference. And if we don't, we can become, we can tend to be very self-focused. Let's just be honest. We can be super self-focused and being myopic makes us miss the big picture makes us miss things. And so one of my favorite illustrations for this is that so many times we can kind of take all the credit ourselves on things. There's a man named Thomas Wheeler who was the CEO of a, a large insurance company, Mass Mutual, and was in the CEO of Mass Mutual for, for a long, long time and retired in the early 2000s. And uh, there in the later part of his career, he went on vacation and was just uh, got in his car with his wife and they were just going up and down the East Coast and just, uh, staying at some nice places and enjoying it, and car gets low on fuel. The smart guy decides to be ruin the vacation if he has his wife push the car, so that's bad, bad. And uh, so pulls over and takes the exit, ends up in this this place that is like a time warp. I mean, it it has this uh, filling station that's the old school service station with a gas attendant. It was real nostalgic. It was a real throwback. I mean, like. Gomer Pyle and Goober were there, like, cleaning the windshields and filling the gas. And it was Mayberry just in this one little spot. So he pulls over, and the guy's filling his tank and cleaning his windshield. And he gets out to check the place out. It's really cool. It's real nostalgic. So he's looking at it. And as he's over there, he looks back over and hears some chatter. And the gas station attendant is just in a real deep discussion with his wife. And he's like, what's this about? So he makes his way back over, pays for the gas, gives a, a nice tip to the guy who filled his tank and cleaned his windshield and gets in the car and gets in the car and the gas station attendant comes in and looks through the window and looks past him to his wife and uh, says, oh, it was so good to see you again. It was nice get, c- catching up with you. Enjoy the rest of your trip. And he pulls away. He's like, honey, what, what, what's, what's this about? And she's like, oh, I used to go to high school with him. I, I knew him. In fact, I dated him for like a year. And, uh, of course, CEO just tipped her ex-boyfriend for filling his nice car, you know, cleaning his windshield. He's feeling pretty good. He's like, oh, yeah. 
He's like, he's like, well, uh, aren't you glad that I came along? He said, you know, you could have ended up the wife of a gas station attendant instead of the wife of a CEO. She's like, you don't even get it. If I'd have married him, he'd have been the CEO, and you'd have been the gas station attendant. <laughs> and so many times we can uh, we take credit for all the good in our lives and forget that there are some other people that play a significant role. Um, in our lives, and we so easily get wrapped up in ourselves, we, we, miss, we miss the bigger picture. And um, so I want us to go ahead and begin to see that God had a plan from the very, very beginning. Let's look at Genesis. We're going to preach the whole Bible today. Let's start in Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter 1. And before we get into 27, um, let's just remember that there at the beginning, in the beginning was God. There was no time. He's eternal. And then he decides to step on the scene and create this moment that we, that time begins for us as we begin to understand. And, and it says that there was, it was chaos and it was a mess. And God steps out on there and immediately he creates and, and he separates the light from the dark. And that was a day's work for him. And he stops. He says that's good. And there was still a lot more that was on his plan to do, but he stops. And that was evening and morning of the first day, and he says it's good. Then the next day he does more, and then the next day he does more, and he stops each time and says it's good. He's not finished. It's not going where the ultimate plan isn't fulfilled, but each part is worth celebrating, and each part is good. Folks, we need to get that from the very beginning. God has been a God of process. And we need to embrace that. So many times we want the big reveal in our lives. We want the move that bus. And we look and we go, yes, it's a brand new me. It's awesome. I don't have any of the old hang-ups or all the mess-ups or all the stuff. And I'm transformed in an instant. But folks, let's be honest. If all that was, was that part of the show... None of you who love Fixer Upper watch Chip and Joe Gaines just jump to the end where they got the little tarp things and you just watch that moment and see the tour of the house. Nobody jumps to the end. Why do you not jump to the end? Because you like process too. You like to see where it was in its beginnings and that they had trouble on this part of the house and had to ask for more money. Who would have thought they have to ask for more money every episode? Oh my goodness. That there's trouble every episode. Oh my, who saw this coming? And um, it's a remodel. The whole thing's trouble. They edit out all the trouble they didn't want you to see. And, uh, but each part, folks, we're wired like God to enjoy the process. So why can you not chill out and let God have his process with you? Be a little patient with ourselves and be a little patient with each other. God is a God of process. And as each time we take a step, as soon as you step over from death to life, you say yes to God and you're, you're heaven ready in that moment. He enjoys it and savors it. You may still have tons of habits and hang-ups and all these things that will get dealt with in process. But you're his kid and he loves it. And he enjoys it. we got to embrace that. And God's been working in process ever since. Let's look at verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Oh my goodness, what? What? This is his first conversation with them? Let's get honest. You and I create a world. We create our own people. We are going to have a very first conversation with them. It's going to go something like this. Um, Hey, I'm God. I'm in charge. You need to understand that. I'm the boss here. Okay? We're going to lay the ground rules. We're going to get all this. That is not God's first conversation with newly created and breathed life into man. That is not his first conversation. His first recorded conversation is be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He didn't say, hey, guess what? I'm God and I'm in charge. He says, guess what? I've empowered you. You're in charge. You're the one who's supposed to rule. You're the one who's supposed to to take over this place. You're the one. All of a sudden, he's an empowering, loving God who's brought us into the process he enjoys. That all of a sudden, could God have populated the whole earth with everyone that would ever live in one moment? Sure, he could have. He's God. But he started out there with a man and a woman. And he moved forward and said, increase. And invited us into the process where we get to to hold a fresh life that's 100% dependent. Can't do anything for itself. And enjoy its dependency. And enjoy the nurture and the care. And enjoy as it grows up and it's not quite as dependent. And you don't go, oh my goodness, when are you going to quit pulling on my shirt tails? Or on my, you know, and grow into a little independence. And then grow, grow up into maturity. And then have their own family. And these magical things that I've yet to experience called grandchildren. That, that, that come along the scene and, and they're like, enjoy them even more. And this process, he invited us in to that creation process from the very beginning. That was what he wanted for us. Verse 31, that God saw all that he had made and that it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now we're going to jump over to Revelation. So if you've got an old school paper Bible, you're in the front. Now you just throw it to the back. And we're jumping all the way to the back. And here is John the Revelator who writes Revelation. And he experiences and sees some pretty amazing things. And he, God, who's outside of time, invited John the Revelator to experience something that has not happened yet. But he experiences it as if it's happened. He's there. And so he's there seeing the end of the whole plan and the whole process. And he's there in the, in the presence of God. And here is what he witnesses in Revelation 7 verse 9. He says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. That nobody could count. There's a sea of humanity that nobody can stick a number on. Now folks, we can stick some numbers on some pretty, pretty big things. And this right here dispels the concept that there's just a handful of people eking into heaven. That there's just you just got to do the little Christian soldier thing just right and do all this stuff. And maybe you can be in the handful that make it. No. God wanted a big family. He told Adam and Eve, fill the earth. Multiply. Fill it. Fill it up. I want a big family. And then we jump to the back of the book and we see what John the Revelator got to see. And there's a really big family. A big one. 
a big one that where there's so many people that you can't put a number on. And then as we move forward, it says it's from every tribe, uh, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, salvation, that means it means something needed to be saved. Something went awry. Now, we jump back here into Genesis chapter 1, and everything's cool. Everything's fine. Adam and Eve are still Adam and Eve. Or you got to, like, put leaves and stuff over them. and like, Because we don't put that in our kids' books. And uh, they're still, it's, it, things are the, the way God intended them to be. They're the way he intended them to be. And everything was fine. But then we get over here and there's this huge amount of humanity. There are these huge population that he had said to go create. And they're saying salvation belongs to God. Along the way, something went off the rails. Something needed to be saved. Something needed to be put right. Now, folks, nobody can jump up here and save me from an oncoming car over here because I'm not in any peril of that. I'm not. So I can't be saved from that because I'm not in any peril from that. There's, but to be saved, there has to be real peril. There has to be really something at work. And guess what? Something did Go off the rails. See, God created humanity to be in relationship with him. And when that was broken, God immediately went to work to provide a way back. Now let's go back to Genesis again. Jump back to the front of your book. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil existed. Humanity was only experiencing good. They were in fully in the presence of God. They were only experiencing good. There's no issues. But if they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they'll be aware of both of them and guaranteed they're going to choose it. And death comes with that. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, sure enough, they do. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then the Lord God... <clears throat> said to the woman, Adam's already thrown Eve under the bus, good old awesome husband. And uh, so uh, guess what? Um, ladies, sometimes the one God actually picked um, doesn't act that chivalrous, okay? She had the man God made for her, and he was still kind of a jerk. <laughs> and so it happens. Um, uh, then the Lord God said to the woman, uh, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will, be, and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers Talk about offspring, more people to come along. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophetic reference to Jesus in Scripture. And it happens in the garden right after humanity sins. This didn't come way down the line. This didn't come way down the line of, oh my goodness, you know, what are we going to do? God had a plan right from the beginning how he was going to address this. And Jesus shows up on this in a prophetic way right from the beginning. 
in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, and then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And God was going to bring a savior, and he raised up a people who would be looking for him. He raised up. God's plan was to bring a savior all along. Jesus' first prophetic mention is in Genesis, right there, right there at the the fall. And God was going to bring this about. So since he was going to bring about a particular he, a particular person, there needed to be a group of people who recognized when he showed up. If you don't recognize he when he shows up, it doesn't help anything. you got to recognize when the Savior, when Messiah shows up. So God immediately begins to start this process, this process of raising up a people. And again, it's not a fast process. To raise up a people who were going to understand and know what Messiah looked like and hold the Messiah sign there at the airport of humanity. We've all seen the movies where the, the chauffeur with a little hat has the little sign on. It says, you know, it says Blanca. And so he's going to show up and, and looking for Blanca. Doesn't know what Blanca is, but has a little sign and, and waiting as the escalator. And is, it, is this her? Is this her? Is this her? Well, that was God was going to raise up a people who were looking for Messiah to show up. Let's jump to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Abram, who eventually will be named Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, which is awesome. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. As he is having a specific conversation with Abram, the agenda on God's plan was all the people on the earth being blessed. He's having a conversation with Abraham, but it's for all the people on the earth are going to be blessed. Now when God has this conversation with him, Abraham had had left where he had had gone. He is out there. He doesn't own land. He's meandering. He's a nomad. He has no children. And here he has this connection with God and he gets this promise. He gets this promise that everybody's going to be blessed through him. You know what's crazy? Is all of these millennia later, today, 8 billion people on the planet, 54% of the people on our planet have some sort of spiritual connection to Abraham. Whether it's Christians, Jews, or Muslims, 54% of the people on the planet have some sort of spiritual connection to Abraham. I think God's keeping his promises. His name has been great. Over half the people on the planet know who he is and have some sort of connection with him. Now we move forward. So Abraham has two sons. Isaac is the one who is coming. So he's the God of Abraham. Then he's the God of Isaac. He has the same conversation with Isaac. Let's look at Genesis chapter 22. It says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants 
will take possession of the cities of their enemies and your offspring and all nations on the earth will be blessed because of you. Then verse 26, that was, that was Abraham. Verse 26, we have Isaac. That night the Lord appeared to him, Isaac, and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and you will, increase in num- the, <clears throat> you will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Abraham has twins. I mean, uh, Isaac has twins. Doesn't go through both of them. Just goes to Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis 28, 14. Your son Jacob's descendants will be like the dust on the earth. And you will, you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through your offspring. All people, all people, all people. It is not relenting. We jump back to Genesis 18. And we see the conversation with Abraham. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. I want us to notice this phrase in verse 19. It says, and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just. Now, so here he is. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then after Jacob, everybody gets included. Jacob has 12 sons. And you would think that his 12 sons were these stellar stand-up guys. Read Genesis. They are not. Um, They are not stellar stand-up guys. They do some really terrible things. They slaughter an entire town in in, in their anger and in revenge. They sell their youngest brother at the time um, into slavery, Joseph. Joseph then ends up a slave in Egypt. Joseph is Joseph. He just keeps being himself. He rises up as 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 a slave and ends up running a household. He, then he, some, he gets lied about, ends up in prison, rises up in prison. He has a strong prophetic gift and ends up out of prison and the right-hand guy of the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And he ends up the prime minister, the most powerful man on the planet other than the Pharaoh himself is this guy that's right here in this lineage. Now that he, part of that coming about was a big famine, so sure enough, the famine hits, hits his family too. His brothers show up. They all come in. They're needing some grain. There's a reconciliation and a connection that happens. That story's very well told. And then at the end of it, he says, you know what? This famine isn't going anywhere. It's going to last a number more years. Just everybody come. Everybody just come and live here in Egypt. So now everyone of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of Jacob's family, 75 in all, load everything up and go to Egypt. Now they're in Egypt. God runs the country. Everything was cushy for a while. They get over there and everything goes. But as things go by, things are not so well. Now, they have been told about God's encounter with their great-grandfather, their grandfather, and their dad. So this, all this stuff is really fresh, and it's been reiterated over and over that there's a God of the universe, and he has a plan. But now they're in Egypt, which Egypt has a ton of gods. 
There are just all sorts of false gods everywhere. And they're living in the middle of this. Well, in the middle of this, of that place, Egypt was very prejudiced. And as all prejudice, it's stupid. All prejudice is stupid. And it's hurtful and it's wrong. And here they're prejudiced, not against skin color or anything. They're, they were pre- prejudiced against an occupation. They could not stand shepherds. They were detestable. Well, all of Jacob's family, all of Israel's family were shepherds. So they come into Egypt and nobody wanted anything to do with them. And God used this to advantage. Because I guarantee you, the people of Israel ended up living there 430 years. That was a long time, people. It's a long time to stay in one neighborhood. And I guarantee you, at some point, there are some good-looking Egyptian girls. And they come by walking like Egyptian. They, like, they got the stuff, man. And there's some of those Israelite boys going, hmm, I know who I'm taking out tonight. And she's looking fine. And, uh, and so, but she wouldn't give him the time of day because he was a shepherd. And I guarantee you, there were some good-looking Egyptian girls. That is, they were, you know, the guys were looking around and maybe they wanted some fresh blood or so they'd go out there and go, man, that, I want a wife and I'm going to get me one of the pretty Egyptian girls. Well, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. So they stayed isolated. They stayed isolated and they were there. In fact, the prejudice went so extreme that we have this snapshot of how, how, how intense it was that Joseph is the number one guy in Israel. He's having a banquet. He's, he, he's having a banquet there. His brothers are set at this table, and then all the other Egyptians are there, but they won't sit with Joseph because Joseph is from a shepherding family. He's the most powerful man on the planet, and they won't eat with him because of their prejudice. It's, prejudice is stupid. It's messed up. It's insidious. But as this, they get isolated well, guess what? They can't go worship those other gods. They can't get infiltrated with all that. And they are raised for 430 years that there's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that God has a plan for them. 430 years later, they're now oppressed. They're now slaves. And now it's time for them to leave. And they're leaving, and all of a sudden they're walking through a parted Red Sea, and there's walls of water on both sides. And they're like, I guess that God... Um, that mom told me about is legit. There must be the God of Israel. I guess this is, a, I guess he's, this is right. Of course, they had just seen all of the plagues. They had just seen all of these different miracles that took place. They would seen the water turn to wine. And over and over and over again, not is it just showing the Egyptians that there's a God of the Hebrews. It's showing the Hebrews that there's a God of the Hebrews. And that there's someone they could follow and someone they need to hold on to and someone they can trust. So then we see Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. It says, The Israelites saw the great power the Lord showed against the Egyptians, so they had respect for the Lord. And they put their trust in Him and in their servant Moses. Now, as we look at this, then we move forward and there's this nation. God had promised to make Him a nation. Then if we read the Scriptures... We go, oh my goodness, um, the God of the Old Testament is kind of mean. It looked like he does some mean stuff. The man, Israel, begins to get off track a little bit, and he's like, brings the hammer down. And it's tough, and you're like, 
man, I read about Jesus, and, and it, here's this God of love, and here's all this. And then I read the Old Testament, and here's this God of wrath and retribution, and he's mean and all this. Now let's understand that there's a plan, that there's a people who's supposed to know who Messiah is and what he looks like. That there's a, a group of people who have seen the miraculous hand of God bring a nation out of a nation. It's never happened any other time in history. That is a documented fact. You can speculate against the Red Sea standing up and all that other, but you can't argue with the fact that a nation came out of a nation, and that's where the Hebrew people came from. And that he did that and brought them out. So you're like, okay, well, is, this, is God schizophrenic? What's up? And so here it is. Let's, this is the easiest analogy, and like all analogies, they break down at some point. But let's look at it like this. We understand that we have somebody who's, who's baking wedding cakes, okay? They bake a wedding cake, and if you go back into this baker's bake shop, and he's got this big wedding cake that he's got to bake, well, guess what? He is very protective of everything that goes into that cake. He's got to make sure that the right amount of Madagascar vanilla goes into that cake. The right amount of everything goes into that cake. Bakes it at just the right temperature. Not too high, not too low. Somebody goes over there to jack with the oven. He's like, stop that. You're going to mess it up. Leave it alone. Back off. Somebody's in there helping the baker. And they're like, man, he, this dude's hard to work with. I mean, he's just very precise. Then he sits there and he fills the cake and he Puts the icing on, he's doing the piping, and everything's real meticulous and real right. And, and then they have the big moment. You watch Cake Boss or any of those shows, it's the scary moment where they got to carry the cake in. And you're always like, oh, is it going to fall? Oh, my goodness. And they're carrying the cake, and they're being careful, and they're carrying it in there. And they're like, ooh, and it's about to go. And everybody's freaking out. And then they're like, and you know, and they're like, stay away. Don't touch it. Don't breathe on it. They get it into place. And then all of a sudden, this wedding thing happens. And the same cake baker, who was so intense and getting, making everybody leave it alone, is now cutting into it and handing out pieces to everybody to enjoy. Did this guy just lose his mind? What did this guy, this guy was mean. He hit me with a spoon when I was in the kitchen. And now he's trying to give me cake. Is he playing a trick on me? Can I, can I have it, Really? Like, yes, it's to enjoy. Folks, when we see the scriptures, when we see that God had a plan to bring Messiah in, that he chose a people who were very blessed for their role. They were very blessed, but he was very protective of everything. He could not let the gods of the Ammonites and the Moabites and all of the other stuff begin to come in and taint it. Because then all of a sudden you're looking for the Messiah and he gets a new name. All of a sudden, he, he has a new description. Somebody put a mustache on Messiah when he didn't have one. Somebody put like three or seven arms on him. And they're looking for some weird octopus guy because of some crazy Hindu thing got incorporated into it. And you don't even recognize Messiah when he shows up. So he was very protective of all the prophetic stuff and all of these different things. But guess what? Messiah shows up on the scene and fulfills what he's supposed to do and becomes the savior of the world and says, It is finished. And just like when that baker sets it down and says, it is finished, it's now time to partake and enjoy of what was accomplished on your behalf, then that is why with Jesus, the same God who was so hard and difficult in the Old Testament is so open and loving in the New Testament is because the completed work is done. 
He is the same God all the way through, and He had something for you and I and the whole world. The entirety of Scripture points to Jesus as the one who would be our Savior and allow us to step from death to life. Luke 24 says, He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that the Old Testament was all pointing to Jesus. We did a whole series called Shouts and Whispers of all of the places where Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures concerning himself. There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he's sitting here. It's all of the stuff that was written for the Hebrew Israelite people. And it all pointed to Jesus fulfilling what he fulfilled and doing what he did. John chapter 14 verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's telling this to the Israelite people. He's telling them, and they were the ones who knew that they were supposed to be keeping and walking in the way. And then Jesus steps up and says, I'm the way. I'm this. I'm the one that has taken care of this. See, the New Testament writings are given to, uh, to us to reveal Jesus and to teach us how to respond to him. The Gospels reveal Jesus and what he did. A lot of Paul's writings help us understand and reveal Jesus. And they help us to understand how to respond to him. Matthew 28 says, <clears throat> When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the last thing he says to him before ascending in Acts chapter 1. Says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. All of recorded time, all of it, is about God's plan to bring us back into that place of initial creation and restore all that was lost. He had planned for a big family in Genesis 1. We see a big family in, in Revelation 7. And folks, you and I are in the middle of this being lived out. But there's a process and a plan. And you're like, but it seems so slow. It's not slow. It's not slow at all. It's patient. 2 Peter 3, 9 said, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He still wants us all. The plan is still a great multitude that no man can number. Folks, the bottom line is this. The big picture includes you and I. That includes you and I. That picture there in Revelation 7 that picture of a sea of humanity, if you have placed your faith and you stepped over from death to life, you're there. You're there. It hasn't happened yet, but you're there. I've already made my mind up. I'm going to wave at, Paul, at John the Revelator. You're going to write about this, and I'm, I'm the idiot waving. I'm that guy because I'm there. 
And every Christ follower is there. With so many brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't even fully wrap our mind around the magnitude of it. Because God wants a big family. Folks, when you see the big picture, we can understand what God is doing in our own lives and be able to live the life that is truly life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.